By giving patients the ability to take control of their own healthcare data, they can become the agent of, of that change in quality or that improvement in quality of that data. Welcome to Innovation Files. I'm Jackie Wisman, Vice President for Outreach at the Information Technology and Innovation Foundation. We're a DC-based think tank that focuses on technology policy. And I'm Daniel Castro. I'm Vice President of ITIF, and I direct our Center for Data Innovation. This podcast is about the kinds of issues we cover at ITIF, from the broad economics of innovation to specific policy and regulatory questions about new technologies. In this episode, we're focusing on the use of data in healthcare and the life sciences. I really love this topic, and it's one you've been working on for a long time, Daniel, so I'm really excited that you are here to co-host with me. Thanks, Jackie. I'm, I'm happy to be here. And you're right, I spend a lot of time thinking about the future of data-driven medicine, because using technologies like artificial intelligence and machine learning can help us expedite drug development, improve patient outcomes, and lower healthcare costs. And we're recording this, of course, in the middle of a global pandemic. And the COVID-19 crisis has exposed very quickly the importance of precision medicine and innovative treatments. I mean, we at ITIF have been talking about this for a long time, but it seems like a lot of people are just suddenly educating themselves on not only the life sciences pipeline, but also might now be more willing to make use of different healthcare apps and telemedicine options in this more isolated world. Absolutely. You know, many people have been working on digital transformation of healthcare for decades, but the pandemic has really accelerated this change. This is creating a window of opportunity to reinvent how the healthcare system works. For example, the United States is on track to surpass more than 1 billion virtual office visits uh, this year, even though before the pandemic, only a quarter of healthcare organizations even offered these virtual visits. But of course, we still have really important questions to deal with, like privacy, security, and usability. Well, that's why we have our guest here. He's going to give us some perspective on all of this, and I'll introduce him. Pat Combs is the worldwide technical leader for healthcare and life sciences at Amazon Web Services. Before AWS, he spent time at Fermi National Lab, Cray, Merck, Microsoft, and EMC. So he has a ton of experience engaging with users and partners in the medical technology industry. Thanks for being here, Pat. Thank you. What are some of the most impactful ways we are seeing data being used in healthcare and life sciences today? Well, I would actually break this question into those two areas, healthcare. It, the impact is a little bit different in healthcare and life sciences. On the healthcare side, we see data being used to really identify and drive tailored treatments for, for individuals. And, you know, this is, this is way more important or, you know, especially significant in the, in the pandemic that we're going through right now in that we're able to quickly identify vulnerable populations or underserved populations very quickly and, and easily and accelerate their treatment based on, on the kind of population group that they're in. And on the life sciences side, we see, you know, we're seeing actually something quite magical. If you look at the usual time that it takes to develop a, a vaccine or, or even measure the times that between when a, a condition has been, a pathogen has been identified and a vaccine enters a clinical trial, what we've seen in the past five months, six months, has been unprecedented. And that is a data-driven exercise on the life sciences. You know, now we are at a point where we've got about five or six potential vaccines entering clinical trial right now. And so this this is really a, a, a magical transformation of the industry that has been 
very data driven. So you, you bring up data and you know one of the key changes we're seeing right now in this sector is that so much more health data is moving to the cloud. How does this improve security and interoperability for different health organizations? Well, the, the first thing that it really does is that if you look at the cloud, you know, we always think of it as being far away and, and, and sort of ephemeral. But if you look at the types of breaches that you see in healthcare, for the most part, these are physical breaches. And these are types of breaches that can't really occur on the cloud. And instead, when data is, is placed on the cloud, it comes in a number of a very, you know, restrictive and extensive controls are applied to that data as it comes in versus the the sort of reactive controls that are applied to data when it's sitting on-prem. And so, for example, as data is brought to the cloud, it's always encrypted in transit and it's encrypted at rest, just sort of a first-order application, as opposed to what you see applied on-premise where we we apply controls and security measures reactively to, to data as we acquire it on-prem. So, what do you see as the biggest barriers to greater use of data in healthcare? I mean, it seems like there are many. The biggest barriers that we see in greater use of healthcare data are really the healthcare data itself. There was there was a talk that I attended a number of years ago and describing a particular uh, but very widely utilized health record system that uh, indicated that that even accounting for you know other conditions, amputations, accidents, and things like that, the average height, as described by this EHR uh, health record system, the average height of an individual over their adult lifetime varied by nearly a foot. And what it points to is is really an issue with the quality of the data that's gathered in healthcare. It's inconsistent. It's often locked away in in a lot of different silos. That the, the kind of measures, inputs, integrity of that data, and so on, right, and accuracy of that data just really isn't there and becomes its own barrier to to greater use of that data. If we can't rely on it, if it's not accurate enough, then then we can't utilize it for uh, a lot of the cool stuff that we, that we intend to do with it. And would you agree, I think, better use of data and analytics, if, if we can figure out that piece, could really help bend the cost curve? Absolutely. Even in the in the simplest sense, if if we look over the industry and, and we have you know can develop better ways to provide tools and things to reduce the number of redundant tests or things that can shorten the time to diagnosis or treatment by utilizing reliable data that can be found in a patient's health record, then that will necessarily reduce the cost that we encounter in the in the health system, that we all encounter in the health system. So one of the things I think is exciting in this space is that we see health data apps that are emerging. They've become much more common and they, they empower patients to access and control their health data. What types of opportunities do you see on the horizon in this space? This is one where I would actually refer back to the the data quality and accuracy problem that, that I described earlier. By giving patients the ability to take control of their own healthcare data, they can become the agent of, of that change in quality or that improvement in quality of that data. And what I mean by that is that if you look at it, if you look at how you manage your finances right now and you access this data through mobile applications and things like that, if you saw 
just unbelievable differences in, in the way your finances were reported, incredible discrepancies in there or anything like that, data that was inaccurate. You would go and, and be the, the agent of that change. You would go and initiate some type of you know, reconciliation or correction on that data. And the similar thing is at work here, right? You can't really imagine that, that the patient is going to be able to always interpret the result of tests or anything like that that, is, that are presented to them by these applications so much. But you can imagine that they become the agent of, of change that is driving better quality in that data. And so by making it accessible to them, it, it really highlights the either, you know, discrepancies or gaps that exist in that data and motivates the patient to really fill them in. So one of the things I think about in this space is that we saw this big change occur with these apps in the financial services sector, where banks had all the data and now we have all these personal financial tools that let you manage your money. And so that's what we're seeing start to emerge in, in the health system. Can you talk about the role of, of cloud in making that possible? Because it seems like it's these, this API access to data is what's enabling this whole new third-party market of apps and services that can give patients the tools so that they can actually manage their healthcare information. Yeah. So the APIs, the API accessible data is just the door that that's presented on it. Really the, the fundamental change that the cloud represents in that case is the elimination of silos. And so if you, if, if you look at patient data as it's represented right now, if you try to reconstruct your own uh, health record, you know, based on, on encounter data that, that is spread out over a number of different silos and a number of different geographies, you know, potentially, you know, you grew up in one place, but you live in another right now. And so your, your health record is sort of spread all the way across these institutions in a physical sense. The cloud provides a common platform or a common home for a lot of this data and breaks down those existing silos as it is and really is the, the core change that enables a lot of access to this, to this data. COVID-19 has forced many healthcare providers to rely more heavily on digital infrastructure. To what extent do you think this will accelerate digital transformation in the industry? I think what we're all seeing right now and, and all the way across in, in many different sectors, not just healthcare, is the compression of a, of a lot of change into a very short amount of time. You know, maybe we're seeing 10 years of change happen in, in only 10 months. And what that has really pushed forward is the use of a lot of different digital, not just transformations, but applications and features and value that these transformations provide. So when we get back to normal and when, when this current crisis ends and we get back to a sort of a steady state operation someday, uh, hopefully soon, that what, what we'll find is that a lot of the value that that has been provided by these digital transformations are, are tools that we've all come to rely on. And that can't be just replicated in paper process or anything like that. These are extra access to information or quick access to powerful analytical tools. And can't just, we, we just can't go back to the way it was. Now we can become sort of reliant on a lot of these different additional value that these things provide. So I think what you'll find is that you know, it'll, it'll necessarily accelerate that digital transformation or the remaining transformation uh, because we've come to rely on a lot of the, the value that, that the current digital transformation provides. 
Yeah, I think we were a lot of us were pleasantly surprised that our existing infrastructure was able to hold up with all of this new <laughs> needs, but it really it it does seem like we still have a long way to go. We do. Yeah, there's there's a lot of transformation yet to happen, but I think the value that it's provided, especially if you look in in the current crisis with things like, you know, telemedicine, telehealth, right? Remote visits, continuing care for people in clinical trials or things like that that can't, you know, physically visit their provider. These are all things where, you know, we we have the existing tools and now that we've begun to move a lot of these these processes into into the digital space, so to speak, it turns out that they actually provide a lot, you know, better ways to connect and care for for folks who are spread out over remote areas or are normally unable or or for whom travel is very difficult or things like that. And, you know, as we move back, you know, there people aren't necessarily going to want to just go back to to in-person visits now that they've really become, you know, counted on the value that that remote visits can provide. Yeah, and I never want to go see my colleagues in person again, that's for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we'll get to there, but yeah. (laughs) So COVID-19 has also, I think, revealed the importance of data, such as for modeling population health, sharing information across organizations, and measuring the effectiveness of treatments. What types of investments do you think we still need to make to strengthen you know, this healthcare data infrastructure, not just for potential future pandemics, let's hope there aren't any more, but for other diseases and and chronic medical conditions that are out there. I I would characterize this a little more as that, I think the the infrastructure as as it stands right now or in the trajectory that it's on, it's actually more than adequate for a lot of the things. And I think like kind of what we just referred to in terms of the, its ability to absorb and and provide for a lot of the needs, digital needs of the current pandemic really indicate that. I think instead we need to reframe or the way that healthcare data is collected needs to be a little bit reframed. Right now we really view things as a series of encounters, right? If you look at population health systems that are creating longitudinal records for people, it really is a, a sort of second-order representation of that person. It's it's reconstructed from encounter data that is that is taken over their lifetime, as opposed. And it's a lot like if you were to try and write a biography of somebody just based on their public appearances or public speeches or something. It's going to be incomplete. It's an, it's not a complete representation of that person. And now we have a lot of the the tools necessary. A lot of the tools. Uh, consumer wearables and things that exist are capable of collecting detailed, accurate healthcare information about you. And yet there is not really a great way to represent that in a longitudinal view of that patient. And so I would say that what needs to be done is less in terms of altering the core data infrastructure so much as the, the data model layered on top of that infrastructure where we can look toward building a better representation of a of a patient over their lifetime in order to provide them with better care, more timely care delivered instead of just looking at things that you know when when uh, patients are are just encountering the healthcare system and that's usually when when everybody's at their worst uh, so you know it doesn't give you a complete view of that person right when they when they ask you to fax something that's when I lose it. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you're already, you know, in a, in a bad state, right? Uh, because exactly. you're, <laughs> yeah. I, I really like that, you know, concept that you talk about, about getting a, a fuller representation of a person. And I think some of that will be coming, as you mentioned, from, from wearables, from these connected devices. Some of it also might be coming from other data sets that are, you know, key representative sources, whether it's somebody's educational or employment history, where they've lived, these types of important informational assets that can affect people's health. How are we integrating more of those types of information into, into these records? Because we did a report at ITIF that tried to look at you know, the type of advancements that are occurring in data-driven medicine. And what we saw is there are so many opportunities to improve this, whether you're talking about using ML for, you know, looking at protein structures, doing clinical trials, and you're trying to identify the right patients or in the delivery of healthcare, but all of it required access to much more information, much more data, lots of diverse sources. How do we start bringing all of that together? If you look now, I think the cloud is is really powering a lot of the collection and, and, and the bringing all together of this data into, into a place where it's all accessible. I think one of the big transformations that that needs to happen here is a better way to account for all the data to to measure the value of that data and and i don't just mean it in the sort of master data management sense right but even beyond describing the the you know value or potential of that data to if, to be applied to different you know modeling or scenarios or patient needs or anything like that you know so you know, right now we we have a we're at a point where we can really pull everything together and pull a lot of different diverse data sources together into one place and and power a lot of new analytics that way. But we need a better way to account for it or sort for it through it. Right? I think of it a lot like a a giant library. Right now, you know, we can assemble a giant library of all the known everything that's ever been published and everything that's ever been written and we can pull it all together in one place, but it might not do you a whole lot of good if you can't find it, what's inside. It just might be fun to hunt through for the rest of your life. But but if you really want to make meaningful change to or or really address something, we're gonna to need to find a better way to describe the significance of that of that information as gathered for different scenarios. And, and that's that's a work in progress, I think. What's the technology you're most excited about right now? Not to sound too cliche or anything, but I think it's still AI, and really the the ability for AI to not just not in the sense of making new advancements. So I think you know plenty of new insights are going to be generated as in the future from from AI, but really to make things more relatable and easier to use for everybody without having to rely on a small set of of experts or anything like that but being able to scale that expertise over a, over the entire population so it's almost like daniel castro wrote that answer because he loves that stuff he lives for accessibility looking forward to the future yeah well, i think it's it, it's important and i think about you know my grandparents or anything where they're bombarded with lots of information that that may be hard to understand you know and, and really compile all at once. And what does it mean? What is the significance? And if you had something that was helping you sort through it, that's that's the real power that AI can provide. And that's an exciting thing in the future. I think we're getting closer and closer to that every day, uh, in part thanks to the type of work you're doing. So 
uh, really appreciate you sharing these thoughts with us. Sure thing. Yeah, thank you, Pat. It was great to have you. And that is it for this week. If you liked our show, please be sure to rate us and feel free to email show ideas or questions to press at itif.org. You can find the show notes and sign up for our weekly email newsletter on itif.org and follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter at ITIFDC. That's it for now, but we have more episodes coming. Come back.